easy to maintain means not a ton of below the ground complications. So in self storage, you don't have massive sewage problems because there's, no there's a single toilet yeah, in the office. Right, exactly. exactly. And then easy to monetize, the eviction laws for self storage are so much more favorable for us than in anything having to do with residential, especially right now, right? Like save maybe Illinois and, and, and uh, California, there's really nothing that's stopping us from being able to monetize a delinquent unit within 30 days. Your network is your net worth. Come listen to some of the most successful people I know share invaluable knowledge, stories, and advice in real estate, business, and beyond. This is Weiss Advice. Whether you want to take your business or personal life to the next level, look no further. Welcome back to Weiss Advice. I am your host, as always, Yona Weiss. And with me today, I am joined by Ben Lapidus. What's going on, Ben? Yona, thanks for having me. Not too much. Living the dream. How are you? I'm doing amazing today. It's a wonderful day. I'm so grateful for you to be joining us. Guys, if you don't know Ben Lapidus, first of all, a little introduction, a little context. He is the chief financial officer at Spartan Investment Group. So if you guys remember back to episode number 23, I believe it was, we had Ryan Gibson, one of his partners over at Spartan. They are really making waves in self-storage and real estate in general. But I think one of your main focuses we'll get into a little bit maybe is self-storage, which is an incredible mm -hmm. asset. As of now, you guys have a little over 150 million in assets under management over you know a pretty short amount of time, which is uh, pretty incredible. So Ben focuses on the financing, right? Capital markets, all that kind of good stuff, running the debts. I work with him for the cost segregation, obviously. Um, but we, mm -hmm. uh, but that's, that's a little bit about Ben. You can learn a lot more about him from all kinds of other uh, podcasts that you're on and, and check out the Spartan Investment Group website, which is going to be in the show notes. But before we get to anything about who Ben is, what he's doing, and how they're crushing it, I want to tell you about an awesome event that Ben is actually the co-founder of. It's called the Best Ever Conference. Okay, best ever real estate investing conference. You may have heard of Joe Fairless or the best ever podcast. Ben and Joe founded this event. How long ago? Almost five years ago. Five years ago. And it is happening next week. Okay, so February 18th to the 20th. It's going to be an awesome event. Make sure to check it out. Go to besteverconference.com or bc2021.com. And we're going to put that in the show notes down there. And there might even be a promo that, or something like that. You put in promo Yona. I don't know if we're going to have it up by then. But if you do, you might actually get a discount. It's going to be an awesome event. Unfortunately, it's not happening live in person this year. But one of the best live in person events probably in the world for real estate investments. It's going to be virtual. Ben, you want to tell us a little bit about the Best Ever Conference? Yeah, the Best Ever Conference is a group of folks who come together that like to passively invest or actively invest in real estate, commercial real estate investing. So there is a focus on commercial real estate, syndication law, uh, asset protection, wealth management, uh, self-storage, mobile home parks, multifamily, mindset mastery, macroeconomics. There's going to be a lot of sessions this year focused on the crystal ball. What does 2021 have in store across all the asset classes? We've got a chief economist from CoStar, chief economist from Marcus and Millichap, chief economist from RealPage, major real estate technology companies that are going to be speaking 
as well as leaders in the syndication space for their respective asset classes, multifamily, self-storage, mobile home parks, uh, assisted living, retail, office, uh, the whole spectrum. Uh, build to rent, multi-generational housing will be represented. Uh, and we've put in a lot of emphasis into trying to crack the virtual networking nut. We've built out our own custom tech stack uh, to support uh, the networking. So despite the fact that it is a virtual world and we would always prefer to be in person, we still believe that we're going to have an amazing audience, an amazing set of content, and a great opportunity for folks to come together one time a year in preparation for the year ahead in their commercial real estate investing business. Awesome. That was a great, that was a great plug. We should, we should send this over to the marketing team and just <laughs> put it over there. Awesome. Ben, how did you, how did you and Joe come up with this idea in the first place to put this conference together? I mean, it's going on. This is the fifth year, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, our, our whole space, this mid market commercial real estate space, let me define that real fast. So you got your mom and pop kind of hustler, uh, group, who might have been flipping houses and they're, they're kind of working on their own and maybe get into multifamily now or some fourplexes. And then you've got your Wall Street, San Francisco, institutional real estate players, right? The, the 800 companies out there that are institutional. And then you've got this tier in the middle that's really born out of the last economic cycle and the 2012 Jobs Act that has built companies like Spark Investment Group, Ashcroft Capital, PassInvesting.com, Elevation Capital, ASIM Capital, all, all the companies that are on your podcast and all of our friends, right? right. Uh, they were all really born out of this last economic cycle. So in 2015, I was looking for a place to go to network with folks who were of like-minded, entrepreneurial, investing in real estate, taking it to the next level. And I either found myself at RIA's where we were talking about how to flip a house, or I was finding myself at a how-to instructional event, you know, pull back the magic curtain, I'll show you how to make money fast, 100,000 bucks. And it wasn't diversity on stage, it wasn't, it was, it was very much instructional how-to content. And I was looking for a trade event mm -hmm. with an assumption that everybody who was participating was coming from a place of experience and knowledge, and they were looking to take their business to the next level, their network to the next level. So uh, around 2015, I moved from New York City to Denver, Joe was a friend. I knew that he had a great audience. I have a background in event management. I used to own a study abroad company. And so I said, hey, Joe, I'd like to create an event that I personally want to attend. I continue to be the avatar for the event. When I, I'm very selfish. When we do the speaker lineup, I find people that I think are awesome, that I want to learn from. I put them on stage, and then I sit there and I listen. And I, you know, we, we make the price point such that we're attracting folks who can ensure that the audience quality is just as amazing as the speaker quality. Every person in the audience could just as easily be on stage sharing their own wisdom, their own stories. It's been very big demand since then. I, I think that people, people have, uh, have enjoyed the experience. Yeah. So at the time we were the only ones doing that. Now there's a, there's a couple of events out there like this, but I, we still have the focus on commercial real estate syndication and uh, we, we attract a, a, lot, a large audience from it. Yeah. Oh, that's, that, yeah. that's awesome. And everyone that I've heard uh, from that's gone has, uh, has raved and raved about the quality of the event. And, you know, the obviously being in Colorado as well helps because you do it during February time and during the breaks, yeah. you go skiing. <laughs> you love the slopes. Yeah. You can, you get uh, a chance to, to fly out for a business excuse and write it off. And if you don't enjoy the slopes, uh, not this year, but next year, we'll be at the Gaylord Rockies, which is uh, a resort three minutes away from the airport. Awesome. So, <laughs> don't have to worry about the snow. Awesome. Sounds good. So Ben, tell me about a little bit about Spartan. Obviously, like I said, we, we spoke with Ryan a while back. You guys since then have 
I mean, since I spoke with Ryan on, on the podcast a few months back, maybe six months ago or so, you guys have acquired like four or five more properties, right? Yeah. So if, if you spoke with Ryan over the summer, we've acquired uh, six properties since then, soon to be seven. And uh, Spartan Investment Group is a syndication and development company that's focused on self-storage and now RV park assets. Mm -hmm. We're also opportunistic, meaning that we reactively invest in things that we believe will make money, even if they're not within our, uh, our, our focus. So we do have a mobile home park development, which is very rare. We do uh, own a car wash that we are in the process of selling for, for uh, a handsome profit uh, in the next few weeks. But yeah, we're, we are a self-storage company and, and we're, we're growing like, uh, like bananas. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I remember vi I visited your office last year out in uh, Golden, Colorado, right? Yeah, we actually outgrew it. I that's what I was going to ask you. You, probably, <laughs> you, had, you had just moved into that because you were growing so fast. And I, I was just yeah. going to say, you probably outgrew that also. We, yeah, we weren't even there a year before we had to leave. <laughs> that's awesome. It just goes to show you. I mean, and that, that's, you know, I, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, how the founding of the company came about and why, why you have the, the ability to kind of grow so fast and so together, right? I mean, it's, you know, there's, there's one type of person who just, or company that just grows really fast, but they're not stable, right? And then what you guys are doing, I believe I've been watching from the sidelines is growing fast, but very stable, very conscious. I mean, you guys are giving return on investment to, to investors that are way beyond projections. So even though you have those conservative projections, you guys are literally taking it to the next level. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you that uh, before I joined Spartan, uh, before Spartan was its current iteration, I had I'd done several investments. I had bought close to two dozen single family properties. I had syndicated a multifamily portfolio and I had done about a half dozen flips by myself. Everything went great except the flips. Uh, I'm not good at construction management. I'm not good with vendor relations. And so I, I had some hubris and I, I lost all the principal that went into those investments and it wasn't my money. And uh, it was an equity investment. So there was no requirement for me to pay it back. Mm -hmm. But I leveraged homes that I had free and clear, and I paid back all the principal plus an annualized eight and a half percent. And that was about 180 grand out of my pocket in my 20s. Wow. Uh, and it stung, but it was the right thing to do as far as I was concerned. And when I, when I started hanging out with Scott and Ryan uh, before the current iteration of the business, they had one deal that kind of went similarly. And uh, they went out of pocket to make sure that all investors got their money back plus 12%, non-annualized, 12% total. And I, I think that's rare. So when we came together, it was like, okay, we've got similar values. We both have a knowledge that our brand and our reputation is more important than each individual transaction. Mm -hmm. And so we want to grow as fast as we can, but at the same time, we know that if a deal doesn't go well, there's no promises, there's no guarantees, sure. obviously. There's no, there's no requirement for us to do this, but our expectation of ourselves is to make sure that everybody who participates in our business is made whole in case something doesn't go well. So we are always consuming not only the risk that we have on paper, but the overall risk of everything. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. We, we do have to be careful about our, our growth. Sure, no, absolutely. Have you guys had any uh, of those type of experiences since you've been together as, as a group? Any, any properties actually done a lot worse than projected for whatever re reason? So we, we've got about 
we're, we're closing in on a dozen and a half properties now. And uh, we've, we've got two properties that may not meet the mark. The first is uh, RV Park, West Texas, oil country. Uh, and oil is taking a beating lately, right? The good news is, is that we bought the RV parks at a 30 plus cap rate, which is insanity. Uh, and they're not leveraged very high, highly at all. I, I think that the, the combined value of both assets is $8 million. We've got a million dollars of debt on an $8 million you know, two-property portfolio out there. Mm -hmm. So we're not worried about losing money. We're not even worried about not making money. We're just worried about not hitting the overall return. Mm -hmm. So that's not a terrible situation. And there's still great potential for us to hit our returns and exceed them. So, you know, the, 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 the story is not set in stone yet there. Okay. Uh, and then the other property, we, we do. We do have one that is, uh, that is in trouble. We've got plans to meet the mark of where we need to be. But if for some reason it doesn't pan out uh, and it is struggling, we, we do have backup plans to make sure we can do the right thing. So, uh, yes, we, we do have one like that. However, the majority of our portfolio is, is smashing it. Yeah. So, so let me switch gears there. So let's hear the best story ever, right? Because this is the best ever, right? You're not the best ever brand. Joe is, but no. <laughs> <laughs> let's hear the best ever uh, deal that you guys have done. Oh, there's a few. <laughs> so we kind of span the spectrum, right? Of, of, of some core plus assets all the way to super opportunistic stuff. So we've got one deal that we got pulled into kicking and screaming. We were very reluctant to get into it, but thankfully we did, where over 18 months ground up development we're looking at a cost basis of $13 million and a value of 25 million over less than 18 month period. Wow. So if we can liquidate our investment in less than two years, we're looking at a very, very attractive, almost, almost ridiculously attractive to the point that nobody would believe it in our marketing return to our investors. I don't want to say the number because I'm not sure about the securities sure. law on that one. <laughs> Uh, but that is an insane, uh, it, it, we, we totally targeted it wrong, obviously, uh, because the, the investors are going to end up with 10 times the return that we had, had marketed potentially. So what and do you, we, what do you mean? Uh, let me stop you there for a second. What, what do you mean that you guys went into it kicking and screaming? Like what, what? Well, it was the mobile home park development that we were talking oh, about. Right. So we, we, it's, it's not our bread and butter. So we, we actually entered into a joint venture with another group that wanted to do the deal, but really, really, really wanted to work with Spartan really wanted to work with Spartan to make sure that everything was buttoned up. We said no a bunch of times before they kept coming back and saying, well, what if we did it like this? What if we did it like this? What if we did it like this? And eventually we said yes. <laughs> and it's a good thing that we did uh, because now we are part of a, a very successful project or what's, what's set up to be a very successful project. Another example would be uh, we bought an asset in a tertiary location in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metro uh, that we targeted to expand 20,000 square feet with rent increases, I think we were targeting something like 15%. We've already hit, well, that was over a five-year period. We've already hit pretty close to that 15% rent increase in less than two years. And we're going to more than double the expansion uh, that we anticipated uh, for a lower cost than what we thought. And uh, we kind of got a car wash out of it right. that, that I, early, I mentioned earlier that we didn't place any value on. We assumed it was worth zero and it was still worth doing the deal for us. Mm -hmm. And we are under contract to sell that car wash for a million dollars. Um, so that's just a million dollars of, of what I, I'm considering to be almost free money uh, on the, on the deal. So wow. you know, I think we were, we were 6 million in with an expectation to be nine or 10 million out and we're likely going to hit 13 or 14 million out. So more than double 
the performance of what we expected. Wow. I mean, I would assume that has a lot to do with your conservative underwriting. Okay. I'm, that's I, right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's right. I'm giving yeah. you a compliment, Ben, because, uh, you know, obviously that's one of your, your skills and, and what you bring to the table as part of the group. But you don't come to those type of deals or those type of uh, returns unless you really do. I mean, and I mean this with all sincerity, like really do write, underwrite a deal very conservatively. And I think it has to do a lot with the fact that you guys are looking at hundreds of deals, right? And that's probably an understatement. Well, that and that we have to really look for the deals that nobody else wants because they don't see the value in it. For example, car washes scare people. Nobody wants to manage a car wash. Tertiary markets used to scare people, not so much anymore in self-storage. So we, we look for the deals that require a lot of elbow grease, you know, hundreds of thousands of CapEx requirements, dirty, difficult pieces of dirt to expand on that would require a lot of effort, a lot of political savvy, things like that, that kind of takes nine out of the 10 yeah. uh, buyers in the buyer group out of the, out of the bidding. Uh, and then we can buy at an attractive price, put in that elbow grease, produce an awesome return. Right. And you, you mentioned you guys are opportunistic buyers, which means, you, you know, your bread and butter is self-storage obviously. Um, and that's the majority of the assets under management, but you've invested in RV parks also and, and car wash included in that mobile home parks. You guys also own and, and have owned like condos and, and smaller multifamily and things like that. Why is the bread and butter storage? Like why that over any other type of asset class? Yeah. So I have to hand it to uh, Scott Lewis, who's our, our CEO. He brought his background is in, is in the military, information warfare officer, uh, and he brought the military decision-making process into our business for strategic planning purposes. So we have three evaluation criteria, easy to manage, easy to maintain, easy to monetize or evict. So on the easy to manage, it's got to be operationally not super difficult, like multifamily, where you're dealing with people's livelihoods. Easy to maintain means not a ton of below the ground complications. So in self-storage, you don't have massive sewage problems because there's, no there's a single toilet yeah, in the office. Right, exactly. Exactly. And then easy to monetize, the eviction laws for self-storage are so much more favorable for us than in anything having to do with residential, especially right now, right? Like save maybe Illinois and, and, and uh, California, there's really nothing that's stopping us from being able to monetize a delinquent unit within 30 days. That's not the case for a lot of residential asset types. Mm -hmm. For sure. Okay. And so those are, I mean, those are obviously amazing metrics, right? That's going to change uh, the whole, you know, face of, uh, of the story. So why, why do you think so many other people aren't you know, running after? Why is like, you know, you hear a lot, just all this craze about multifamily. Well, they are. <laughs> they, they definitely are. In fact, uh, over, over the coronavirus timeframe, the, the first six months, I think there was something like a 71% reduction in listings a simultaneous 18% increase in equity injection into the market. So effectively, the buying marketplace became twice as difficult mm. as it was pre-COVID. And as a result, we've seen a 30 plus percent basis point compression in cap rates in the, in the asset class, which didn't seem feasible uh, to a lot of people in the space because cap rates have been compressing in self-storage for 15 years. I mean, they're, they're half of what they were eight or nine years ago. Mm -hmm. and, and the reason that is surprising is because historically, self-storage has been just corrugated metal. 
the repurposability of self-storage is limited. You can't take a, a single story, just row of self-storage and say, oh, there's no demand for self-storage anymore. Let's repurpose this into, into multifamily or a hotel. Mm -hmm. There's not that same kind of protection in your collateral from a lending perspective. So 15 years ago, it was really difficult to get a loan in self-storage. And now it's super easy. Lenders love storage, yeah. especially right now. Wow. So there's just a ton of competition. It is becoming so compressed that it is very difficult to come into the space and say, oh, I know how to find a good intersection that's not overbuilt because almost everywhere is overbuilt with self-storage. And I know how to buy in a way that's better than the national players and the national equity groups, at least with multifamily you've got more multifamily assets in a major market than you do with self-storage assets nationwide. Right. So you can find holes of like, where, where can I play? But in self-storage, it's, it's a little bit more difficult to kind of come in cold. Cause it's like really market specific, like, right? Because it's very, it's very intersection specific Interse wow. intersections. Like, you, like Denver is probably, I don't know, the fifth worst town in general that you could buy in nationwide uh, because there's just so much development for storage in the area. And there's not, not yet, not have been enough population growth to meet the additional supply, mm -hmm. but you can still find a, a quality intersection that has unmet demand where you can build or expand. Mm -hmm. Even though the metro as a whole is way oversaturated, there could be a donut hole somewhere that, that would be attractive. Interesting. So having that expertise is, is a bit difficult to get coming in cold. Yeah. And you guys own a, a, a self-storage property in Colorado, not in Denver, correct? How far outside of we own two in the Denver Metro. One is two blocks outside of, of Denver County. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So officially out of Denver County, which is a good thing. Right. And, and I mean, uh, the reason why I'm asking is because like you said, it's intersection specific, but yeah. you know, a lot of the value add that comes with, you know, self storage is finding those deals, finding the right location where you have the demand or you have the population growth and not be, yeah. I mean, where they are not developing, but it happens to be, um, you know, a need for it. And I want to yeah. go back to something you mentioned before about the ability or the inability to repurpose self-storage. But the opposite is, is actually fascinating because we're finding a lot of retail properties or big box, you know, type of retail that are being repurposed into self-storage. So the kind of opposite effect is taking place. Yeah, I, I think the, the cat got, came out of the bag on that one a few years ago, and everybody's like, oh, what an amazing idea. Let's repurpose these buildings. But the reality is, is that retail rents are so high that the expectation based off the cost basis that these retail owners have, like, for, for, for example, Shopco. I mean, there's, there's probably 100 sh empty Shopco still sitting around the country uh, since, since, since it went out of business. And nobody has picked them up and converted them into storage. People have been marketing them as storage conversion opportunities, mm -hmm. but they're, the cost basis on them are so high, it just doesn't make financial sense. For most markets around the country, you'd be buying at like 25 bucks a foot or lower. And that's not where people want to sell their big box retail at. Right. So the conversions that we are seeing are either really good cost basis in the building itself, or they're one of the major REITs saying, I don't really care about my five-year return or my 10-year return. I care about beating my competition by grabbing more market share and looking at a 30 to 50 year return. Wow. So they can accommodate a much higher cost basis than say a mid market fund or uh, investment group like Spartan investment group. So we keep looking for those dark boxes. Haven't found really too many that make sense. In fact, we found zero <laughs> so far that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. It's it's very difficult, obviously, um, to to break into that. You know, Ben, I would love to just jump right into the final four over here. Yeah. The, the first question I ask all my guests is, what is the worst job that you ever had? Yeah, so when I was 18, I crashed my car into a sign uh, at, a, at a store complex uh, in the snow because I was trying to sell an ad for a Monopoly game that my economics class was trying to build for our town. And uh, the owner of that real estate who had the sign on the road said, well, it's 1200 bucks. You could either pay for it or you could work it off at $12 an hour. So I worked it off at $12 an hour, the 105 degree heat, raking rocks. He had me raking rocks because he didn't want mulch anymore. He wanted rocks around his shrubbery. 105 degree heat, I hated it. Wow. It was terrible. Manual labor. <laughs> wow, that's that's an incredible story. I mean, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know how, if that would fly uh, so much today. Uh, well, yeah, <laughs> I, I still wanted to make money though. So I, I was working 40 hours a week at the at the sandwich shop, but I would spend three hours each day beforehand going to, you know, in the morning when it was cooler out, doing some work and then heading over to the sandwich shop to make my real money. Oh man. Yeah. Paying off, paying <laughs> off your debts. Uh, but I think yeah. that, that couples well with, you know, with, uh, you know, paying for it, you know, paying, just yeah. doing that with, with what you said really at the beginning of the episode, the, you know, the incident where you had to pay out of pocket for, uh, you know, those deals, the equity deals that went sour. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes in life we got to pay. Sometimes we got to pay. We gotta, yeah. <laughs> let's ask the second question, which is what is a book that you've read that's given you a paradigm shift? I've been really getting into space time and, and physics lately. Uh, so I'm going to go with The Order of Time by Carlo Rovelli. Uh, is an Italian physicist uh, working in quantum loop theory who wrote a book about physics for the layman, about where we're at, like our overall uh, humanity knowledge base on, on physics mm -hmm. and how we, we exist in the universe. And it's just kind of by somebody who has never taken a physics class, just mind blowing wow. on, on the understanding of I don't know, where what, what humanity is and what time is in relation to the universe. Amazing. Wow. Sounds fascinating. I have also never taken a physics class, believe it or not, <laughs> but it does sound fascinating. The only physics book I ever read, which is not really a physics book. It was actually more like a theological book, uh, but was written by a, a nuclear physicist from MIT who was actually someone that I, I was fortunate enough to, to learn from in, in Jerusalem. It's a guy, amazing oh. guy by the name of Gerald Schroeder. If you want to look him up, he wrote a few books and one is called The Science of God, uh, which is incredible. He has two PhDs from MIT. He used to teach at MIT uh, for many, many years. And the, the, but the book that he's talking about, which actually has a lot to do with, based on a theory of relativity, just understanding the universe and understanding yeah. how... Uh, and that's really what that, that book is about. And another one called Genesis and the Big Bang, kind of reconciling those two uh, stories. Anyways, that's, cool. that's, my, that's all of my uh, knowledge of physics right there. Very cool. <laughs> Third question. What is a skill or a talent that you would like to learn? Windsurfing. That's like the new golf. So <laughs> I've tried it a couple of times, but I haven't had enough time to get good at it. So, Yeah. <laughs> Winds, they probably don't have much windsurfing in, in Colorado. They do not. They do not have much of it. <laughs> there are a few lakes, but I, uh, yeah, yeah. But I'd like to, I'd like to get better at it. That is, uh, 
at least on, on the West Coast, there's a lot of people in their 30s and 40s who do not play golf. They go windsurfing and that is how they have their business meetings. That's how they have business. How do you have a business meeting, you know, in a wetsuit? In the... <laughs> right? I know. It sounds amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. It's like hanging out with Brandon Turner, right? You go to Hawaii, he's like, you want to have a business meeting with Brandon Turner, right. you're going to be on a surfboard. That's right. You like <laughs> that's right. That's probably true. <laughs> uh, that's a very good point. Um, fourth and final question, what does success mean to you? The abbreviation I've always had for myself is uh, acquire massive resources so I can deploy them to shape the world in my own vision, which is very much a godlike complex, but it doesn't have to be the whole world, right? It could just be my immediate community or my family. So I'd like to acquire uh, enough resources that I can deploy them, not keep them. It's not about the number. I can deploy them to shape the world around me in a way that I think is, is better. Awesome. So having the power to do that, that's success. Awesome. Unbelievable. Ben, it has been a pleasure. Where can our listeners find you or reach out to you? Yeah, check us out at uh, besteverconference.com to learn more about uh, a commercial real estate syndication event of the year or uh, spartan-investors.com to learn more about self-storage, RV parks, and investing in them. Awesome. Amazing. It's been a pleasure, Ben. I learned a lot from this episode, got a lot of value, and I hope our listeners did too. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Yana, so much for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. Really, it is. And, um, and to our listeners, remember, the best advice comes only when you ask. Real quick, I have one question for you. Did you like this episode? If you did, I wanna ask you a huge favor. See, the biggest thing that helps this podcast grow and that will spread this message to the whole world is that if you leave a review, a rating, and subscribe to the podcast. What that does is it basically tells the platforms that this podcast is out on is that you like my stuff and I'm doing something right. So take a few seconds out of your day, hit that subscribe button, leave a rating review, I would be extremely grateful. Also, I want to hear from you guys. So I want to hear some feedback. If you have any questions for future episodes, please find me on LinkedIn, send me a DM, a connection request, Yona Weiss, and I'd love to hear from you.